Welcome into a Friday edition of PFTPM. Shereen Williams, Mike Florio, week nine upon us, the midpoint of the 2020 season, assuming that the NFL continues to get in the games, notwithstanding the pandemic that is raging as strong as ever. Good afternoon, Shereen. How are you today? Hi, Mike. I'm doing good for Friday, getting ready for some football. Hope this upholds. I see the Pac-12 is falling apart as we speak, canceling games left and right, but hopefully we get the NFL schedule in this week. You know, we do have to give the NFL credit. It has continued to stage every single game. Not all of them when originally scheduled, some not in the week when originally scheduled, but we still are perfect from the standpoint of every game that has been scheduled has been played. We'll see how long. That continues. Hopefully it will continue through week 17. Week 9, Sunday night, concludes with the best game of the day. Maybe one of the best games we've seen all year. With our fingers crossed because the Saints, as they travel to Tampa Bay to take on Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, have an injury issue. An unexpected injury issue. An old injury issue. Old business. Mike Thomas, Michael Thomas still questionable game time decision as to whether he returns from ankle and then hamstring injuries and now Drew Brees after being limited in practice all week he also is a game time decision with a shoulder problem and you hate to see that happen because we don't have many more of these Brees and Brady games left this could be the last regular season Drew Brees Tom Brady game maybe they meet in the postseason maybe Brees comes back for one more year to try to try to hang on to the all-time passing touchdown record, Shireen. But th th this changes everything if Breeze doesn't play. And even if he does play, we have to watch and see if he takes a big hit from one of those Tampa Bay defensive linemen or linebackers. Maybe he doesn't last long. We do have breaking news, Mike. The Saints just now put out their uh, release for their status reports. Drew Brees is not on there. He was a full participant today. So it does look like he's going to play, but you're right. If he takes a hit on that shoulder, it's something we're going to have to watch to see if he can get through this game. He was limited over the last two games, obviously, and I know he said he's always limited on Wednesdays because he's 41 years old, but he's not always limited on Thursdays. So he does have an issue. There's no question about that. But Michael Thomas is the only guy on the report listed as questionable. They certainly hope he can play. Boy, what a difference he makes, Mike, when he's in the lineup with Drew Brees. And Shireen's one hell of a teammate because I'll be candid and say I screwed that up. I misread that Drew Brees is a game-time decision. He will play. So thank you for the boost there, Shireen. I will own my blunder. The good news, though, is Brees plays, but he still does have that shoulder injury. It was disclosed. It did affect him in practice, so we do have to watch and see if he takes the kind of hit that sends him to the sideline in favor of Taysom Hill. And we also have to see whether or not they may use Taysom Hill more often to throw the ball. We saw Taysom Hill run it and catch it more than he has all year. 65 total yards last weekend. Maybe we'll see more Taysom Hill in the game plan for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Either way, Breeze and Brady is on. Michael Thomas may be back. Tom Brady will have a new weapon at his disposal. Antonio Brown officially part of the team. Here's Tom Brady explaining why he wanted to help Antonio Brown get his life turned around and get back on the football field. Watched him for a long time. I've, I've seen him as a player and then gotten to know him as a person. And, um, you know, again, I think, you know, I, I really enjoy the sport. I enjoy playing football, obviously, but relationships are very important to me. And I think if you ask all my teammates over the years, um, you know, more so than throwing touchdown passes or winning games, the relationships 
and what we build together and how you get to know people is what makes football to me so meaningful in my life. Um, you know, all the guys that I've played with over the years, you just have a strong connection with and you want to see everyone achieve their best. And I think, um, you know, you, when you see people, when you see people achieve things and they put their effort into certain things and it pays off and it's really rewarded, um, you know, there's just, you know, that's, I, I think what life's about. And I've had a lot of people that have helped me over the years, had a lot of people that have, um, inspired me to do better, to want to work harder, uh, that have helped me in the right position to be successful. And, um, that's all I try to be to my teammates. I try to do my best every day to make myself available to them. However, I can help them mentally. Um, however I can help them emotionally. Um, and I just want to see people enjoy what they're doing, enjoy their job, show up, do a great job. And ultimately our goal for all of us is to win football games. Look, that's great. I love that. That's the right way for Tom Brady or any quarterback to be. That's leadership. But I'm sorry if Antonio Brown is the last guy on the roster at the receiver position, if he isn't good enough to help Tom Brady pursue and achieve Super Bowl victory number seven, he's not living at Tom Brady's house. Tom Brady isn't taking all this time to help get him pointed on the straight and narrow and keep him on the straight and narrow. Shereen, we talked about this earlier down PFT Live, Peter King and I. One of the reasons he's given Antonio Brown a room at Derek Jeter's mansion is to keep Antonio Brown out of trouble. So it's great that he says all the right things, but he's not doing this unless he believes Antonio Brown helps him achieve the goal of putting ring number seven on the middle finger of his right hand and flashing it at Bill Belichick. You mean Tyler Johnson's not living at the Derek Jeter mansion too? <laughs> I thought it was all the receivers. I thought this was a Brady Bunch thing. Uh, yeah, you're exactly right, Mike. If AB wasn't helping Tom get what he wants, he wouldn't be there. You remember way back when, when the Cowboys signed Pac-Man Jones and Jerry Jones hired the bodyguard to follow Pac-Man Jones around all the time? Well, that's Tom Brady's job now is to keep AB out of trouble. And by living in his house, I'm sure that will happen. And he and Giselle can can keep AB on the straight and narrow and keep him thinking about football. And it does get him thinking about football all night. I'm sure they discuss it all night long before they go to bed. So, you know, it's a great thing for him and a great thing for Tom Brady. And are they going to have that instant connection that they had in the one game they played in New England? We're going to find that out very quickly, I think. And I also think about the last time we saw Antonio Brown with the Steelers. It was against the Saints. It was 14 catches on 15 targets for 185 yards and two touchdowns. It was Antonio Brown doing everything he could in that game that the Saints ultimately won 31 to 28 because Juju Smith-Schuster had a key fumble. Two days later, the Steelers named Juju Smith-Schuster the team MVP for 2018. Antonio Brown throws a tantrum, throws the football at Ben Roethlisberger, as reports and legend has it, storms out, and that's that for Antonio Brown in Pittsburgh. So enter the New Orleans Saints, where we see Antonio Brown with the first time he's had more than just slap it together and get on the field. He was with the Patriots for a week when he had that performance with Tom Brady that included a touchdown catch against the Miami Dolphins in a blowout win in Miami week two of the 2019 season. And I continue to believe, Shereen, and they're never going to admit it, 
maybe someday some evidence will come out. I don't know. Maybe Antonio Brown will slip up and say something at some point. I continue to believe, and I'm not saying anybody did anything wrong here, that Antonio Brown and Tom Brady were working together long before Antonio Brown signed with the Buccaneers. I believe Antonio Brown had the playbook. I wouldn't be surprised if Antonio Brown had been living with Tom Brady at Derek Jeter's mansion for a lot longer than the last week or two. I think this was all something that Tom Brady wanted from the moment he got to Tampa Bay. It was something he wanted before he got to Tampa Bay. I think it was Scott Zolak who does play-by, not play-by-play, but color commentary for the Patriots Radio Network, who said within the past week or so that Brady went to see Antonio Brown Super Bowl week in Florida and said, hey, if I leave, I want you with me. So this is something that hasn't just been slapped together. And I think he's going to be on the field a lot. I think he's going to have the ball thrown his way a lot. We had a graphic earlier today, and we still may have it now, that shows the number of times Brown was targeted in light of his total snaps in that game when the Patriots played the Dolphins. He got the ball thrown his way a lot, given the number of times he was on the field. I think he'll be on the field more than 30 snaps, and I think the ball's going to come his way because Tom Brady wants to show everyone he was right to go out on a limb for Antonio Brown, and Antonio Brown's going to want to prove that Tom Brady was right to trust him, Shereen. Yeah, Mike, and Tom Brady and Mike Evans, for whatever reason, just haven't found that chemistry, that connection yet. And you remember the play that Peyton Manning broke down, what was it, a couple weeks ago, saying Troy Aitman called it a a great pass by uh, Tom Brady to Rob Gronkowski, and Peyton Manning said not so fast. That pass actually wasn't intended for Rob Gronkowski. I think it was intended for Mike Evans, but Mike Evans didn't catch on to what Brady was doing. So they just have not found that connection. And I think Brady and A.B. already have that connection. They found it. And I think it's going to be, like you said, it's going to be immediate that they're going to come back and have that connection. And I do think he's going to target him a lot because, like Rob Gronkowski, he trusts him. Unlike Rob Gronkowski, we know that A.B. can still play, or we think he can still play. We've seen him one time. Uh, since the 2018 season, and that was in that week two game. But we think he can still play, and he can say, still play really, really well, unlike Gronkowski. And so I, like you, think we're going to see a lot of A.B. on Sunday. And I sure hope Michael Thomas plays. He, You talked about A.B.'s success against the Saints. Michael Thomas has had his greatest success against the Buccaneers, and I want to see those two guys go at it Head-to-head, I know they're not on the field at the same time, but I think it would be so much fun to compare those two guys as they go out there each time on offense. And Thomas did not do much in the week one win by the Saints over the Buccaneers, and then it was kind of garbage time down near the goal line where the Saints had a lead. The The clock was, was winding toward zero in the fourth quarter. Latavius Murray rolled up on Mike Evans and – or Michael Thomas, excuse me, and caused that ankle injury – that, that initially knocked him out for weeks, and then the hamstring was a problem, and he got in trouble with the team along the way. And the sooner he's back on the field and the sooner he's producing like he did last year, the better off the Saints are going to be. Also for the Buccaneers, Chris Godwin expected to play. He had finger surgery, missed the Week 8 game, but is expected to play. Bruce Arians, the head coach of the team, said that the infection, uh, there was no infection, that they, they're comfortable going forward, and he's expected to play despite having finger surgery within the past couple of weeks. So Evans, Godwin, A.B., Rob Gronkowski, Scotty Miller, they got plenty of weapons. And, oh, they have Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette too. So if you spread out the – if you put four guys 
uh, wide, even if Rob Gronkowski's one of them and he's in the slot, uh, and they and the defense spreads out to try to counter it, you can just run the ball right up the middle, and there may be nobody there to tackle Fournette or Jones if they bust through the front uh, the front wall of the New Orleans defense. So, it, look, I hope this is a high scoring game. I hope it's, I hope it's an exciting game, and I hope it goes down to the wire because I feel like we we need that right now after everything we've gone through this week. I think we all deserve a great Sunday night football game between a couple of quarterbacks with a combined age of 84, which is almost old <laughs> enough to run for president in this country right now. Okay. Uh, the Carolina Panthers are, are playing, sorry, the Carolina <laughs> Panthers are playing the Kansas city chiefs this weekend. And Christian McCaffrey expected to come back for the first time since week two. And I remember when he suffered that high ankle sprain, well, you know, he's determined he's this, he's that look, there's only so much you can do to tell your body to heal. It's going to heal in its own time. And I think it was smart for the Panthers to give him a full seven weeks, Shireen, to let that thing heal. I expect him to come back and be the same guy he was when he hobbled off the field week two against the Buccaneers. Yeah, and Mike, don't you feel like he feels like he has something to prove after he became the highest paid running back in the game during the offseason? And he hasn't been able to prove that yet. And the Panthers did pretty well with Mike Davis. I mean, in the six games he missed, they went three and three and Mike Davis had over 500 total yards and four touchdowns and played okay. But we know Christian McCaffrey is, if not the best running back in football, Derrick Henry can certainly argue that and maybe some other guys. But if he's not the best, he's right up there in the top two or three. He made all pro last season for a reason, 1,000 yards rushing, 1,000 yards receiving. I mean, he, he's just good. We know that. And the running back sometimes does make a difference, not in all cases, but the really special guys. And we all think that this is a really special guy. So I know the Panthers are going to welcome him back. They certainly need him this week because they're going to have to try to stay with Patrick Mahomes, and that is not an easy task to do. And I don't think they will, but they certainly have a better chance with him than without him. One thing that we don't see nearly enough teams try to do is run the ball, chew the clock, keep the clock moving, keep the play in bounds, keep Patrick Mahomes on the sidelines and shorten the number of times he's got an opportunity to come out and try to score points and maybe frustrate him because he's not on the field as much as he'd like to be. But, you know, McCaffrey, you mentioned the contract he got. Derrick Henry got his contract, hasn't missed a beat, as good as ever, if not better than ever. Alvin Kamara got his contract, hasn't missed a beat, as good as ever, if not better than ever. And then Dalvin Cook, even though he missed a game and a half due to injury, look at what he did last Sunday with that new contract. So McCaffrey, in comparison to those three, has not earned his yet. And it's probably eating at him that he hasn't had the opportunity to do it. And we'll see what he can do against the Chiefs on Sunday. Matthew Stafford and the Lions taking on the Vikings in Minneapolis. Some interesting subplots here. Adrian Peterson back in Minnesota. Everson Griffin back in Minnesota, a strange little back and forth. It feels just a bit contrived. Everson Griffin mad at Mike Zimmer, the head coach, because he said Griffin's a good player, not a great player. I, I, look, do whatever you have to do to motivate yourself, Everson. I got no problem with that. But Kenny Galladay, out with a hip injury for the Lions. Stafford on the COVID-19 reserve list because he and his family were exposed to someone who was positive for the virus. He's got to test negatively on Saturday and Sunday to play. He's banned from the team until Sunday, so he's walking through the door. The Vikings are down some corners. Even if they had everybody healthy, their corners aren't very good. There's an opportunity there for Matthew Stafford. So, uh, I look, it's an elimination game as far as I'm concerned. And the winner may be done, too. But I think whoever loses that game between the Lions and the Vikings, 
for all practical purposes, Shireen is done for 2020. Yeah, big game for for both teams. And I know Matthew Stafford wants to play, and it all is now in the hands of the COVID test. And it was close contact. His wife confirmed that, and it was not a positive test. Chase Daniel said he's acting like he's the starter. But the Lions hope that Matthew Stafford is back, and Matthew Stafford hope that he's back. And, you know, he's just kind of been so-so this year. He really needs to step up in a big game and play well. And I know it's going to be hard without having a week of practice. Everything was virtual for him. Uh, but but he needs to step up and have a big game uh, for the Lions. Or there will be doubts, I think, going forward about his future in Detroit. Did they start looking for another quarterback at some point? He's been there an awfully long time. And for whatever reason, whether it's a change in coaches, offensive coordinators, everything else, they just haven't taken that step, Mike, that, that I expected them to take anyway. I had them going to the playoffs as a wildcard team. And I don't think they're going to get there again. Like you said, this week's an elimination game. But I don't think they're going to get there the way they're playing at three and four right now. Yeah, I think the Lions have slid to a status where I'm not picking them to make the playoffs until the first year I'm wrong about it and they make it. Because for whatever reason, it's just not clicking. And maybe they do just enough this year that ownership decides to bring back GM Bob Quinn and bring back Coach Matt Patricia. But it may be without Matthew Stafford next year. This guy's been... You know, I, I don't know. Fran, he's performed and produced like a franchise quarterback. But if you never win a playoff game, I mean, at least Kirk Cousins has won a playoff game, Matthew, you know. And, and Kirk Cousins is as middle of the pack-ish, frankly, as it gets in the NFL right now. You got you to gotta have team success at some point to be a franchise quarterback. You can't just be a stat machine on a bad team because at some point, you're responsible for the team not being good. And I, I still have burning in my brain a story that came out from the Lions several years ago. Reggie Bush was playing for the Lions at the time. And the Lions were struggling. They had expectations. They had a good team. Calvin Johnson was on the team. And they were struggling. And Dominican Sue was still on the Lions at the time. And Reggie Bush suggested a team meeting. You know, players only meeting, you know, the old, the, the old desperation play to try to get everybody pointed in the right direction. And Reggie Bush was in the locker room with a Super Bowl ring. So I think he's got a little cachet when it comes to knowing what a team needs to get pointed in the right direction. And Stafford's attitude was, nah, we don't need it. So he's always been kind of that reluctant leader. And I, I just think that you can't just be a passer. You've got to be a quarterback. You've got to be a leader of the team. And he's never been that. It's just not wired into him. And I think that's one of the reasons why we haven't seen the Lions do more during the 11 years he's been there, Shereen. Yeah, no question, Mike. And and he hasn't taken that next step. He's put up a lot of statistics. If You know, in fantasy, he's been fantastic. But he hasn't been that good for the Lions when it comes to the wins, losses, getting the team to the playoffs, winning playoff games, getting them a step toward a Super Bowl. They just haven't taken that step. And I know the changes in coaches and offensive coordinators and everything else affects quarterbacks. It just does. But he doesn't seem to be that leader to take his guys to that next level like we see so many quarterbacks do. The great ones do that. It doesn't matter what receivers you give Tom Brady. I know he's got a lot of them this year. But when you look back over the years in New England, he didn't always have the greatest of receivers. And he still managed to win in New England and other quarterbacks like that. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, I mean, he's got Devontae Adams. Who else does he have? He doesn't have those great receivers. They're not going to be all pro. They're not going to be Pro Bowl, but he manages to take those guys to a different level. And that's what we haven't seen from Matthew Stafford yet. Here's an interesting question. If he's not playing for the Lions, 
Because the guy's still got five, six, seven good years left. He's early 30s. It feels like he's been around forever, but he's still in his prime physically, and he's getting to that point where the combination of remaining physical skills plus your brain from everything you've experienced that comes together to create this coach quarterback on the field that that can't be fooled by anything, theoretically. It'll be fascinating to see who pounces because I think if you put him in the right place with a team that already has strong veteran leadership, a team that doesn't need a quarterback to come in and take over, man, you, you, you could have a special outcome for Matthew Stafford next year. You almost look at what Indianapolis did this year with with Phillip Rivers, a situation like that where they have a really good defense, where they have some weapons on offense, where they have a really good offensive line. I agree with you. I think he could be really good someplace else. It hasn't worked in Detroit, though. Hey, all due respect to Phillip Rivers, if I'm Chris Ballard, the GM of the Colts, I say see you later, Phillip. Hello, Matthew Stafford, in an instant. All right, uh, Mike McCarthy the Cowboys head coach, talking to reporters today about who's going to get to play quarterback on Sunday when the Steelers come to town. It's Cooper Rush, it's Garrett Gilbert, and could it be both guys alternating? Here's McCarthy from earlier today. Um, have you made a determination on who will start this game, or are you still uh, discussing that with your staff? Yes, we're still working through the process. I, I think the most important point that's, uh, you know, as far as the goal is to make sure both Garrett and Cooper are ready. So, you know, the, I mean, the reps aren't being distributed equally, and, and I really don't want to get into the specifics of it, but, you know, we, we, you know, just learning from last week's experience, uh, just with all the pressure in the Philadelphia game, uh, just to give us the, the best opportunity offensively, I, 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 my focus is to make sure both Garrett and Cooper are ready to play in the game. Unfortunately, there's a lot of other great nods to Cowboy history that I will pursue. Um, uh, that that won't be one of them. No, we we will not alternate quarterbacks. We're gonna we're gonna give one of them the football and, and tell them to take it and run with it. Um, th- this is just more of a, you know, we don't know how long we're gonna be in this this situation. So uh, I, I think it's best to have both guys ready. You know, I'd never heard that story about Tom Landry alternating quarterbacks every play. I think somebody must have slipped a magic mushroom into his vegetable soup that day. I was so mad that year, Mike. I'm like, Roger Stallbach's your best quarterback. Why aren't you giving him the ball and letting him start? And there he was, the alternating quarterback. It didn't last long. Of course, Roger won the job, and they went on to win the Super Bowl. So the outcome was determined by the play on the field. But the interesting thing to me in this, Mike, is Ben DiNucci, the rookie who made the start last week, he actually has more game experience having played in that game last week than either of these other two guys have game experience. So – uh, this is not probably going to go well for the Cowboys. And I do wonder, and I'm only half joking when I say this, why they just didn't suit up Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator, and put him out there and let him play. Could call his own plays. I think that would be kind of fun. They're 14 and a half point underdogs at home against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And here's the problem when you decide to have a George Costanza, Lloyd Braun, winner gets a water pick competition in the middle of the season during a week of practice. You're giving half of the reps to one of the guys who won't be playing. So you're making it harder for the guy who wins to be successful because you've diluted the preparation of the guy who ultimately gets the job. So, look, it's not going to matter whether it's Garrett Gilbert 
or Cooper Rush or Kellen Moore, or if they bring back Roger Staubach, it isn't going to matter against the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Now, what? Well, you think Roger You think Roger could do better than, than Gilbert or Rush on Sunday? Maybe he could. Hey, maybe it's a low I, maybe bar. Maybe he could. <laughs> um, I would like his just, chances probably better than those other guys. It's it's a shame to see how this rivalry has fallen because this should be one of the most compelling games of the weekend. And, and you know, Shereen, something I've been saying all week, it hurts the Cowboys in moments like this to be the Cowboys, to be playing in that stadium, to have that luster of America's team because you're never going to be on the right side of a trap game. No one's ever going to step in a trap when they go down there to play the Cowboys. The Steelers are going to go down there with the intention of beating the crap out of the Cowboys because they're the Cowboys and they're not going to take any mercy on them simply because it's Garrett Gilbert or Cooper Rush at quarterback. All right, let's take a break. We're going to uh, talk about the things we can't wait to see coming up and also we'll talk with Warren Sha- uh, Warren, Schaff, Warren Sharp, the uh, NBC footing and, uh, football and betting. Let me try that again. We're going to talk to Warren Sharp, the football and betting analyst for NBC Sports. We'll do that when PFTPM continues right after this. Gigantic weekend, if you haven't heard, on NBC, starting tomorrow at 2.30 Eastern, the Breeders' Cup World Championships. Then Clemson, Notre Dame, primetime, also SNL with Dave Chappelle. Then Sunday, NASCAR Cup Series Championship at 3 Eastern. And then 7 o'clock Eastern, football night in America, leading up to kickoff of Saints versus Buccaneers. A huge, huge weekend of all sorts of sports and other stuff on NBC. Hopefully you'll join us for the entirety of the two days. All right, joining us now, Warren Sharp football and betting analyst for NBC Sports. Warren, good afternoon. How are you? Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. So uh, let's talk about some of these games. Let's talk about uh, some of the point spreads and how you see things being affected. And let's start with this Saints-Buccaneers game, the game of the weekend, I think by far. Four and a half point favorites are the Buccaneers, even though the Saints beat them back in week one. How does the availability of Antonio Brown, let's start with him, how does that affect how you view a game like this? It's very difficult because we don't yet know how Bruce Arians is going to treat it. And a lot of these games, you're handicapping the coaches as much as you are the players. If Bruce Arians just sticks him in there and they let Antonio Brown go, we know he has a lot of familiarity with Tom Brady and Bruce Arians has coached him before. Like This is going to be a good weapon for them to utilize. A lot of short passes. There's going to be high winds in this game as potential 25 mile per hour winds with gusts into the mid 30s. It's going to mean that you're not going to be able to push the ball too deep down the field. Antonio Brown could be very valuable for you in these situations, but we don't yet know how easily they're going to ease him into this game. Warren, how much do you look at Michael Thomas and Drew Brees? And we just learned coming on the air that that Drew Brees is going to play in this game, but he does have that right shoulder injury. How much does that affect what you think is going to happen in this game? Well, it's big because quarterbacks in the passing offense is what leads teams to be able to cover spreads in the NFL, especially establishing leads and avoiding falling behind in games. We saw in windy conditions up in Chicago last week, Drew Brees definitely struggled. They threw the ball the shortest average depth of target. I think it was only 4.7 yards down the field. A lot of these short passes. The problem is against the Bears defense, you can do that. The Bucs are one of the best defenses in the NFL with great linebackers that snuff those pass plays out. 
out and really congregate on those receivers after they catch the ball quickly. So it's going to be imperative that they're able to get the run game going, but I think Alvin Kamara was limited to 1.3 yards per carry in their first meeting against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I think Tampa Bay got caught looking ahead in their game against the Giants on Monday night. This is the game that they've really circled, but we're seeing some sharp action come in on the Saints in this one. So this is a game I really haven't formulated a strong opinion. There's a lot of moving parts, as you mentioned, receivers coming back that we don't know how much they're going to get utilized in a quarterback with a limitation there with his arm strength. I think there's a lot going on here. Yeah, that's a great point about Drew Brees. We just don't know. And we've had questions for the past few years about his arm strength. And if that shoulder is a problem, will he be throwing the ball into the short zones even more than he usually does? There's a fascinating game in Baltimore, or or no, in, in Indianapolis, the team that used to be in Baltimore, now against the team that is in Baltimore, the Ravens at the Colts. I see the lines moving. It was Ravens minus two. It's down to 1.5. The Ravens have had the COVID-19 issues this week. Just generally. How has this sudden unavailability of players and when's the guy going to be back and is he going to have practiced when he comes back? How does that complicate your life as trying to handicap what's going to occur in light of the point spreads? It definitely means that we have to spend a lot more time reading and evaluating information that's at hand. So far, what we've seen is that when a guy gets COVID and obviously has to be out, but some of his teammates were close quarters with him and they have to sit, that those guys don't end up coming down with it. Now, it's obviously a very small sample size, so we don't know if that's going to be the case here. But I think, by and large, we're anticipating that most of these guys, they're critical defenders for the Ravens that weren't able to practice this week, but should be able to play. It is a little bit different when you're talking about guys on the defensive side of the ball that have to come up with a game plan to stop an offense rather than if you're talking about you know Matthew Stafford for example who knows the offense like the back of his hand and is going to be able to go out there and execute assuming he gets cleared for his game so it does become a very important factor to weigh into these things but I'm looking at this game and you've got Marlon Humphrey one of the best cover corners in the NFL and he was paid like it this uh, during the season he is his loss is going to be big here. But the fortunate part for the Ravens is that there really isn't this number one wide receiver that you have to be scared of for the Colts. T.Y. Hilton, not likely to play in this game. But the other issue is Jimmy Smith just landed on the injury report with a back issue. He's now questionable. He didn't practice today. So if you have him and any of these other guys out, it's going to be a big blow to that Ravens secondary. Warren, one game that fascinates me is Seattle, a 3 point favorite at Buffalo and early in the season we were kind of talking about Josh Allen as an MVP candidate and that's kind of fallen off but we definitely have Russell Wilson up there how do you see this game playing out especially with that Bills defense against Russell Wilson will they be able to slow him down and will Josh Allen be able to keep up with Russell Wilson which is probably what he's going to have to do Russell Wilson, when he retires, needs to write a book on how to win games in the East Coast because he has the best record of any quarterback in the NFL winning games in the Eastern time zone. They've won 10 straight, uh, the Seattle Seahawks did, captained by Russell Wilson. He's been incredible. And we have seen this Buffalo Bills offense appear to take a step back, right? They scored three weeks in a row. They scored 16, 17, and 18 points. They don't really look like the team that started out the season the first month, guns blazing. However, I think there are some extended 
extenuating circumstances surrounding that performance. Number one, you had the strange game with the Tennessee Titans where it was on a Tuesday and they started already game planning for the Chiefs and then they had to come back to this game. Then you had a couple games that were played in the rain and wind and some bad weather conditions. That was a factor in this offense. Then the game against the Jets, they didn't punt once. I think they had 10 drives all game. They drove every single one of them at least to the Jets 35-yard line or inside of that. They settled for field goals, turnovers and downs, had some bad luck there. The one main thing that I'm looking at in this game, because we know Seattle's offense is great and this Bills defense is struggling and Seattle is going to score some points here. Can Buffalo do enough offensively to keep up? Over the last three weeks, they have the fifth worst red zone conversion rate on offense. They've struggled there. But one of the things I've noticed is they have decided to run the ball a ton. In their last 10 first downs inside the red zone, they have ran the ball on nine of those 10 plays. They're very poor running the football. They're very good when they pass the ball. Seattle's defense, very good against the run, very bad against the pass. If the Bills turn a little bit more towards the air, let Josh Allen throw the ball more in the red zone, I think the Bills are going to be able to put up some more points here and make this game very competitive you know that point you made about the Seahawks winning so consistently in the East Coast that is a point of pride for them DK Metcalf told me after one of their early season East Coast wins they're aware of it they enjoy it and they sense that the opponents kind of look at it like hey the day is going to be a little easier for us you'd think at some point some of these East Coast teams would realize This isn't like the other West Coast teams that are playing at 10 o'clock, their body clock time. The Seahawks can thrive in that environment. This will actually be the first time Russell Wilson's ever played in Buffalo because, as Peter King pointed out earlier today on PFT Live, the last time it was Seahawks at Bills, they played in Toronto. Uh, Let's talk about the game that fascinates me late afternoon, Tuatonga Vailoa against Kyler Murray when the Dolphins take on the Cardinals. The Cardinals are a a four-and-a-half-point favorite. That's courtesy, as all of the point spreads are, of PointsBet Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of NBC Sports. How do you even begin to get a feel for Tua Tonga-Vailoa's anticipated performance when last week they really didn't have to do much with him? Well, and that's the exact point, Mike. They had a white gloves approach with Tua in that game. And what I mean by that is this was a team, the Miami Dolphins, when Ryan Ryan Fitzpatrick was the quarterback, that passed the ball on early downs in the first half of games at the third highest rate of any quarter of any team in the NFL. And Ryan Fitzpatrick was great on those, averaging 9.2 yards per pass attempt, a really good success rate. And they needed to be that pass heavy because they were terrible when they ran the football in those spots. Very poor production, well below average when they ran the football. Well, when they got Tua Tungavaloa into the game this week, they decided to take this white gloves approach and they really restricted him. I'm not even talking about in the second half when they had a big lead. I'm talking about in the first half of the game, they shifted from 60% pass on these early downs in the first half all the way down to 44% pass. They went from the third most run heavy in the NFL to what would have been the second mo- third most pass heavy to what would have been the second most run heavy team over the course of the season at that run rate. The problem is that the running offense still is terrible. It wasn't good at the beginning of the year with Ryan Fitzpatrick. It didn't get any better. You can guarantee that the Arizona Cardinals are going to play to stop the run. They're going to shut down that run game that's without two of their top running backs now with Miles Gaskin going out. It's going to be imperative that the Dolphins don't handicap Tua by running on early downs and forcing him into these third and obvious passing situations. You have to let him throw the ball when that Cardinals defense is playing run 
on early downs, but it's going to be fascinating from the coaching perspective. Again, how do we handicap what the coach wants to do? What does Chan Gailey decide to do here on the road his first start? I imagine he's going to stay conservative. That's only going to make things easier for the Arizona Cardinals. Hey, Warren, excellent stuff. We appreciate some of your time, and we hope to talk to you again soon. Folks, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Shereen and I will talk about the things we can't wait to see for the ninth Sunday of the 2020 NFL season. We'll be back with more PFTPM right after this. All right, week nine is here, and we'll do what we do every Friday, what we can't wait to see when Sunday rolls around. Shireen, I'll let you go first. Well, we got our first look at Tua last week, and we're going to get our second look at Tua this week. And is he going to be better than he was last week, Mike? He was not good. He was 14-24, 102 yards and a touchdown. The, the Dolphins won, but they only won because of their defense. So he's 1-0 technically, but he's got to play better. And, you know, when we watched Justin Herbert in his first start and we watched Joe Burrow in his first start, we just didn't see the struggles that Tua had against the Rams. I mean, he really struggled. And we just we, – we haven't seen that. But I don't know. Maybe it's that he hadn't played in almost exactly a year when he had that hip injury. Maybe it's just getting some of the rust off. Maybe he's not ready. Who knows? But this is about evaluation, right? I know you wrote something about that earlier today, and the Dolphins have to find out what this guy has. Yeah, I don't know how much I agree with the term audition. That's something that I think Adam Schefter reported, that it's an audition for Tua for the rest of the year. Brian Flores, the coach of the Dolphins, bristled at that. But the reality is... You've got three types of teams in the NFL, teams that have a clear-cut top-shelf franchise quarterback, teams that don't and are looking for one, and teams that have a quarterback where they don't they don't know. So with Tua and the Dolphins, they've got to accelerate the process and find out, is he a potential or actual shortlist franchise quarterback? Because if he's not, and you don't see him on that path, and the first-round pick of the Houston Texans that you hold by virtue of the Laramie Tunsil-Kenny Stills trade could be in position where you may get a shot at Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields, or maybe you could package your own first-round pick to guarantee yourself that spot. You've got to do the evaluation because everybody wants that guy who's the answer for the next 15 to 20 years. If you have a quarterback that you feel good about for the next generation, that secures employment for a lot of people because that means you're a contender every year. You're going to win championships. You're going to be playing big primetime games. You're going to be one of the teams that matter if you have one of those handful of great quarterbacks. So if it's not Tua, let's figure it out because it could be Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. And and it's that simple. And And there's no there's no offense or insult to Tua if the team does that. If I'm a Dolphins fan, I want him to do it because I don't want them to keep the wrong guy when the right guy could have been had. All right. I can't wait to see whether or not the Tennessee Titans, who have now lost two in a row after being one of the best teams in the NFL, can they muster a pass rush against a team that has an offensive line that stinks? Last week, the Bengals had 80% turnover in their starting offensive line, and they neutralized the Tennessee Titans' pass rush. This week, they've cut Vic Beasley, who had done nothing. 
Jadavian Clowney may or may not play with a knee injury. Now, he doesn't have any sacks, but he is a master of the F up the play stat, as Chris calls it. But the Titans got no sacks last week. They've got seven and seven games. They've got to get to Nick Foles. They've got to disrupt Nick Foles because if Nick Foles has time, he's going to make things happen. That's the big reason why Foles hasn't been special this year. He's got to throw the ball before he wants to throw the ball. So you have inaccurate passes because he has to make quicker decisions and quicker commitments. And it's been harder for the Bears to operate their passing game. So the Titans, hey, who, who one of these teams is going to be on a three-game losing streak, and the Titans can't afford to have that happen, not after they started 5-0, and Shereen. No, they really can't, Mike. And, and I want to see more from Clowney. And I know Chris loves Clowney, but let's face it. He had three sacks last year. He's got none this year. He has six quarterback hits. He's not lived up to really what the Titans expected when they brought him in. He's never had a double-digit sack season. I know he's really good against a run. But I have watched many Titans games this year from start to finish, and there are just games with that you go, that you go, was Clowney even on the field? Because I didn't see him. And I know he had, he's had some injuries, some nagging injuries. Now he's got the knee. Is he going to play? Is he not going to play? He's going to be a game-time decision, all that sort of stuff. But this is a team now with three outside linebackers on its active roster. They really need him to play, and they really need him to play well this week. All right, what's next on your list, Shereen? Well, I want to see when we finish this Tampa Bay-New Orleans game, who holds the all-time passing touchdowns record? Is it going to be Drew Brees or is it going to be Tom Brady? Tom Brady currently has 561. He passed Drew uh, Brees on Sunday, who now has 560. And they just keep swapping this record back and forth, Mike. And it's a fun record. And I think whoever plays longest obviously is going to end up with it. Brees is 41. He's got 13 touchdowns this season. Brady's 43. He's got 20 touchdowns this season. Which one's going to end up with the record? If I'm betting, Mike, I'm putting my money on Tom Brady to hold it after this week, and I'm putting my money on Tom Brady to hold it after both of their careers are over. Well, yeah, because he's going to play next year, and Drew Brees very well may not. And I think however long Drew Brees plays, Brady's going to find at least one more season, so he definitely has that record. But it's amazing, 1,121 touchdown passes combined and we get to see that play out on Sunday night football I want to see in that same game how will the Saints go about defending all of these Tampa Bay weapons you can't double everyone and that's one of the things Mike Evans said on the way off the field Monday night to Lisa Salters of ESPN after the Tampa Bay Buccaneers came back and beat the Giants and then held on at the end Antonio Brown is going to take away some of the double teams from me so is that going to unlock Mike Evans, is that going to make him better? Is the ball going to go his way more? Will he be doubled? That This is a hell of a chess match for Dennis Allen. Does he just go ahead and commit to doubling Antonio Brown, or does he wait until it's clear that Brown really is the guy that ripped up the Saints' defense two years ago for 185 yards? What do they do about Gronk? Do they put a safety on him? Is that what Malcolm Jenkins handles? Do they have linebackers? What do they do? So you've got Gronk. Mike Evans, Antonio Brown, Chris Goblin, Scotty Miller. You got to worry about all those guys. You got to worry about getting gashed in the running game if you overcommit to the pass. I can't wait to see how that defense ultimately is constructed by Dennis Allen. The one guy I wouldn't want to be this week, Mike, is Dennis Allen. The Aggie great is has his hands full, and I'm sure he's ready for Sunday to get here to figure out what they do. But it's going to be a very, very <clears throat> difficult task for them. 
The game, the, one of the games I'm most looking forward to is how Everson Griffin is going to do against the Minnesota Vikings. And he and Mike Zimmer, you alluded to it earlier, have had this back and forth. And Mike Zimmer intended to compliment Everson Griffin when he said he was a really good player here. He was with Mike Zimmer for six years in Minnesota, 10 years total, third all-time on the team in sacks. But Everson Griffin took that as a slight that – that he didn't call him great. Mike Zimmer only called him good. He said, I think he's a great coach, not a good coach, but I have something to show them. Players use all kinds of things for motivation. If this motivates Everson Griffin, great. He's got two and a half sacks this season. They came with the Cowboys. We'll see what he can do with the Lions against his former team, but he's certainly going to be motivated judging on his comments. And this is his debut with the Lions because of the COVID-19 protocols. Even though the trade came well over a week ago, he couldn't play last weekend when the Lions faced the Colts. And yeah, I think that this is Everson Griffin looking for anything he can to muster extra motivation. And that's fine. The Michael Jordan documentary revealed that great players will stretch, embellish, and even lie to themselves if they have to. They'll make up indignities that never occurred to get themselves appropriately lathered up to go do what they have to do. But that's going to be a great subplot to this game. And as we discussed earlier, I firmly believe the loser of this game is done. Can Jake Luton get it done? Or is it Luke Jayton? I really don't know. I wrote down here Luke Jayton as a joke, but then I'm thinking, is that the joke or is that the serious name? It is Jake Luton, sixth-round pick, second straight sixth-round pick of the Jaguars, and last year's Gardner Minshew turned out to be pretty good, although this year they're not winning football games. Minshew's got a thumb injury. He's not going to play, and instead of going with Mike Glennon, it's Jake Luton who gets the call, and we'll see what he can do against Deshaun Watson and company. You know, every once in a while – you, you roll the dice on one of these guys no one's ever heard of except people who were fans of their college team, and uh, it works. There's a Ben DiNucci that didn't work. Maybe Jake Luton will work for the Jacksonville Jaguars and save some jobs down there because what a stunning fall. Week one, they beat the Colts, and they haven't won a game since, Shireen. Yeah, including a loss to the Texans, and now they play the Texans again, and Gardner Minshew is now 7-12. and 12. We were talking of him highly after week one. We're not talking about him so highly now, so going to be interesting for the Jaguars, but you figure they probably will get one of those top two spots and get to draft a quarterback. Mike, another game I'm looking at, I want to know which Steelers defensive player is going to be player of the week this week. We've seen it a couple times so far this uh, this year. T.J. Watts won it, and Stephon Tewitt won it this past week. Minka Fitzpatrick could have won it. Tyson Alualu could have won it. Cameron Hayward could have won it. I think one of those guys will win it this week against the injury-depleted Cowboys offensive line against the Cowboys depleted quarterbacks uh, no matter who they start they're going to have a rough day and that Steelers defense is really going to take advantage yeah it does seem like every week there's another guy who steps up it's just one of the benefits of having an awesome defense like the Steelers have I want to see whether or not the Chargers will blow another 17 point lead they've done it three times in the last four games it does not bode well for Anthony Lynn, the head coach of the team, a guy I have a ton of respect for. But when you've got Justin Herbert, and it's clear he's the real deal, this is an opportunity to go out and attract a great coach to come to L.A. and run that Chargers organization and and attach his wagon 
to Justin Herbert for the next 5, 10, 15 years, however long Herbert is there. I really do think if they put the right pieces in place with that Chargers organization, they could emerge as the preeminent team in L.A. I, I think Herbert's better than Jared Goff. Maybe not immediately, or maybe, maybe. I think I'd take Herbert over Goff right now. Who would you take between yeah. the two right now? Herbert. I would take Herbert. Yeah. I think he's been. I think he's been better than Joe Burrow, frankly. Yeah, uh, they just don't have the wins, and one of the reasons they don't have the wins, Herbert builds the leads, and the defense fails <laughs> to hold the leads. All right, hold on for a few minutes. We're going to return and answer some of the best questions that PFT. PM Posse has had to muster and wrap up this week of our programs. We'll be back with more right after this. I'm just going to say very proud of our organization, how we have handled uh, uh, this entire protocol and this entire uh, process. And um, I'm not going to comment any further than that. We, as I said last week, I believe we're on the cutting edge of being the best at servicing uh, players. And um, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, yeah, leave it at that. Come on, John. Don't, don't, don't. don't. I mean, I know we are in post-truth America, Shireen. I don't want to make this political, but people just say whatever they want to say, even if it's not backed up by facts. They're not on the cutting edge of beating the virus. They're on the cutting edge of breaking the rules and hurting their ability to compete and costing the team money and costing the team draft picks. And Gruden's the one who's responsible for it. He's the one who needs to be telling the players and everyone in that building what the rules are and here's how you're going to comply. And I can't help but wonder whether he's one of those people that thinks it's all a hoax, that thinks masks don't work, that don't want to comply, that don't want to submit. Well, Raiders fans, you can thank John Gruden. Whatever the reason, you can thank him and his inability to control his team for the predicament that the team now has. They've had... Way more issues than any other team, Mike. When you go back to the, the letting the unauthorized person in the locker room, the not wearing the mask on the sideline, to the out the uh, Darren Waller's event that all the players went to. I mean, it's just been one thing after another uh, with this team, and and so they're starting to see the punishment that that they deserve, and they've got to be better. And I know they don't like it, but be better. And you've got to be leaders in this thing, and they haven't been. Yeah, even if you don't take it seriously, it's a very simple proposition. There are rules that you must follow. If you don't follow the rules, there will be consequences. Even if you disagree with the necessity for the rules, those are the rules. I'm astounded by the failure of the Raiders to handle this properly. All right, that's it for today. Enjoy your weekend. Go back to watching the political coverage if you can stomach it. Maybe go take a run in Philadelphia. <laughs> well done, Philadelphia. See you Monday.